Hey there, it's Alex. Just a really quick announcement before we get started here. We were totally booked out for our Cost of Glory Rome retreat this summer, 2024, June 30th through July 7th. But we've managed to make some adjustments and we've found room for another one or two slots. So if you're interested in visiting the great sites of Rome, discussing the merits of Rome's greatest men with me, and also improving as a speaker with the insights of ancient rhetoric and a whole lot of live practice and discussion, check out the retreat website at costofglory.com retreat. Hope to see you in Rome. Okay, now for the episode. Hello and welcome to another installment of The Cost of Glory. It's a shorter episode today. You know, at Ancient Life Coach, it is our mission to help you use models of good ancient living to better your life today, to sharpen yourself for the present. And in that vein, a quick heads up, we've begun development on a new project that you might be interested in. It's a program on the ancient Greek language, geared more towards beginners. It's in the early stages, but if you'd like to hear more about that, send an email to alex at ancientlifecoach.com with the word Greek in the subject line. Now, when your family members make fun of you for trying to live according to ancient principles in the 21st century, well, you will, of course, tell them that philosophy is eternal and that the ancients are not old, they are young, and it is we who are old and decrepit. And if they're still not impressed, you'll also explain to them that Plutarch's lives were mega bestsellers consistently in the top five traded books in the American colonies in the 18th century, and those people seem to do all right, maybe. Or perhaps you'll just say nothing and nod and chuckle at their jests in the moment, but secretly focus your energies on honing the steel within, knowing that, in the long run, virtue speaks for itself. The kids probably made fun of Plutarch for spending all that time reading the classics too, but who's laughing now? Now, in the last episode, we heard about the epic-making conflict between Eumenes of Cardia and Antigonus the One-Eyed over the inheritance of Alexander the Great. And we got a sense of the stakes involved for each man. Eumenes lost that conflict because he was betrayed by men on his own side and executed. But what happened after he died, and what can we learn from his example? We'll get there, but I want you to start by thinking for a moment how his story fits into the wider cloth of Greek history. Eumenes was born in a Greek backwater in an area called the Thracian Chersonese, Kersonis means peninsula in Greek, Kersonisos, and Eumenes grew up in a world dominated by Athens, Thebes, and Sparta. It was a world of warring Greek city-states, forming and breaking alliances, vying for supremacy, like crabs in a bucket, always resentful of the rival who gets a little higher than the others. And the city-states would always band together and drag down any other city who momentarily rose above the rest. And of course, the Persian king was always happy to see them fighting, and occasionally he took the opportunity to play them against each other. As a young man, Eumenes joined the retinue of a fringe upstart king, Philip II of Macedon, and the Macedonians were, at that time, backwards barbarians in the eyes of the rest of the Greeks, even though they were culturally and ethnically very close. But then Philip conquered them all, and Eumenes helped him as a young secretary 
It's hard to overstate the magnitude of the cultural and political change that the reign of Philip and his son Alexander kicked off in the Greek world. Eumenes had joined, at a relatively early stage, the greatest venture in probably the entire history of the ancient world. But Eumenes was an outsider in Macedonian society. Through Philip's rise and after Alexander took over, through the years of conquest of the Persian Empire and beyond, all the ambitious men wanted to be army brigade commanders, cavalry officers, you know, warrior nobles. And we can learn something from how Eumenes plotted his career. In retrospect, it seems clear that Eumenes was just as good as any of those guys, the Meliagers, the Leonidases, and the Perdiccases. But Eumenes perceived that the most promising opportunities lay not in trying to compete with Macedonian nobles for Macedonian noble prizes, but in getting really good at being the royal secretary, in ruling the Sparta he got, so to speak, as we discussed in a previous episode. Because he saw that being secretary allowed him to stay close to Alexander, the man from whom all power emanated. And it wasn't just that he had a different skill set than everyone else, though maybe he did, but his fate was different too. He wasn't born of the same stock. He wasn't from the same place. He didn't have the same accent. He didn't try to fight that fact. He saw what different opportunities it presented. Well, there's a takeaway for you. Are you competing in the right game? The one where you have the greatest edge, whether it's because of nature or nurture? Well, after Alexander's death, Eumenes kept his cool at the settlement of Babylon, again staying calm and perceiving that his greatest power lay in slowing things down and staying neutral. You might say in this context, he illustrates the Taoist principle of Wu Wei, of non-doing. He advanced by retreating, by not trying to force his opinion in the debate, as the various other officers and friends of Alexander were, he put himself in a position to be the neutral negotiator when the disagreement disintegrated into open conflict. And then he stayed loyal to Perdiccas, who was the man appointed at Babylon to look after the throne for kings Alexander IV, the son of the conqueror, and Philip Aridaeus, another son of Philip and Alexander's half-brother. Eumenes was a loyalist, a royalist, a legitimist, he saw the value of keeping faithful to one's principles in an age of increasing distrust. But we've heard about his life, about his upset defeat of Craterus, about his epic struggle against Antigonus. Now, what happened after he died? In the last episode, we mentioned how Olympias was treacherously murdered by Cassander after she surrendered to him in Greece. With Eumenes dead, Cassander faced little local resistance. Polyper Khan had fled south by that point. Olympias had herself left a disturbing trail of bodies in her wake, including the murders of hundreds of Cassander's friends and sympathizers, and also including Philip Aridaeus himself, who she executed along with his young wife Eurydice. You remember that sweet little granddaughter of Philip II whose mother caused Perdiccas so many problems? Well, Olympias compelled her to commit suicide after Eurydice had personally led an army against Olympias and been defeated. Cassander then became the ruler of Macedonia and much of Greece after winning his end of the war. And Alexander IV was still alive, and his mother, Roxana, too. Cassander kept them under close watch, promoting himself as the new regent, the guardian of the throne of Alexander, 
Now, immediately after defeating Eumenes, Antigonus began consolidating his power in the east. As Plutarch and other ancient authorities saw it, the gods gave the silver shields a just reward for their treachery in handing over Eumenes to Antigonus. Antigonus sent the 1,000 most unruly of them to a distant satrap in Afghanistan who was fighting a border war with King Chandragupta of India. And this satrap had instructions to regard these silver shields in his command as expendable. The rest of the unit Antigonus disbanded. He dissolved them into other army units. He was confident enough in his own power to not have to keep this proud and potentially unruly block of veterans together. And therefore, together with Eumenes, so also ended the legendary career of the Silver Shields. And by this point, the concept of a regency and a united kingdom under the throne of Alexander had lost most of its credibility. The most powerful satraps and governors were now openly pursuing their own interests. Antigonus soon had a falling out with Seleucus of Babylon, who appealed to Ptolemy in Egypt, who formed a coalition with Cassander in Macedonia and Lysimachus in Thrace. Antigonus had become too powerful, the argument went. He had to be stopped. And so within two years of the death of Eumenes, Antigonus was at war again with his former ally, Cassander. And so once again, a new set of crabs assembled, this time in a bigger bucket. Not just mainland Greece, but the whole wide new Hellenistic world that Alexander had conquered. And henceforth, these crabs, as it were, would band together and drag back down any one of them that got too high. The point here is that hope for a unified empire truly did die with Eumenes, even though Alexander IV and Roxana lived on for another about seven years, until Cassander just got tired of keeping up the farce. Alexander IV was murdered by henchmen of Cassander around the age of 14, together with his mother, Princess Roxana. What was it like to be that boy? What did he think when his mother told him stories about his father? Did she ever tell him stories about Eumenes? At what point did he realize that the people who told him they were keeping his throne warm for him weren't really on his side after all? We will never know. Let's save any further analysis of Eumenes' character and choices for the comparison episode with Sertorius coming up next week. In the meantime, do your best to be your best. Look to good models. And if, like Eumenes, you must bide your time for years before your opportunity emerges, don't lose heart. Enjoy the process. No, master the process. And let us know how it goes. Until next time, this is Alex Petkus. Please reach out and tell me what you thought. Give me suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Petkus or at Cost of Glory. Or send me an email at alex at ancientlifecoach.com. Again, if you're interested in our upcoming Greek program, which is really not even in beta, it's an alpha, but it's coming. If you'd like to hear more about that, write me at alex at ancientlifecoach.com and put the word Greek in the subject line. Till next time.